Well, friends, here it is. A fresh start, a blank page, a first morning of a first day of a new year. Have you made any New Year's resolutions yet? Have you broken some of them already? Have you made any wise plans? What wisdom will you live by in 2023? Well, if you're not sure, this morning you've come to the right place, for we're in the wisdom section of the Bible, a section of God's Word which primarily is comprised of three books, uh, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes, which forms a, a very important section of God's Word, particularly when it is understood altogether. Because when taken together, these three books of wisdom teach us how to live wisely every single year. Indeed, when I read uh, through these three books, I like to think of myself as a student at God's School of Wisdom. And wisdom begins with the book of Proverbs, which is, which is just one book back from where we've just read. And Proverbs is a little bit like going to elementary school. And so picture the scene with me. Uh, there you are, aged just five years old, snotty-nosed, coat on backwards, book bag in hand. And you basically know nothing about the world. But in Proverbs chapter one, you meet Miss Proverbs, your first elementary school teacher, in fact, in the first few chapters of Proverbs, wisdom is actually personified as a beautiful lady who cries out, let all who are simple come to my house and learn. And so you go into Miss Proverbs' classroom and you sit down on the, on the kindergarten carpet, crisscross applesauce, and there, and there there is this kind of Miss Jennifer Honey from Matilda kind of teacher who, who lovingly imparts all her wisdom to you. And she starts with, with very elementary laws about life. Indeed, parents, that's why Proverbs is such a good book to study with your children. Builds such good foundations for life. Anyway, as you move through the book of Proverbs into the second half of it, and, and, and metaphorically into middle school, although Miss Proverbs tells you that wisdom requires some greater nuance, there is still a great simplicity to her classes. For essentially her teaching motto is Proverbs 29, verse 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. In short, keep reading the maker's instruction manual and you'll be kept safe because there is an order to this world. There is an orderly creator God who has made it. And so if you do this and that, that each year will be a good one. And so off you go into the world, aged 11 or 12, swinging your school bag, skipping merrily with all the elementary school wisdom, knowing how to be kept safe in this life. However, as you get a little bit older, as you see a little bit more of the world with each passing new year, you start to realize that occasionally life doesn't work out like that. Indeed, as you become a teenager at the school of wisdom, you hear about one of the high school teachers for as you read this wisdom section of the Bible, you hear about a kind of Professor Snape from Harry Potter kind of teacher uh, whose name is Job. And you discover that Job went through all the elementary school classes. Indeed, Job was one of Miss Proverbs' star pupils, for Job followed all the maker's instructions, all God's wisdom. However, Job did not do well in life. For one year, he lost all his money and his house, and his children died, and he became very sick. And so from his smashed up classroom, 
Job, the, the teacher of wisdom, weeps from his teacher's desk and he, and he kind of cries out, what happens? What happens if you obey all of the maker's laws but then this life doesn't work out? And one new year you suffer terribly because you live in a broken world. What is the point of wisdom then? But the high school teacher Job teaches us that wisdom is patience in the hidden plans of a sovereign God. That's the wisdom of Job. Patience in the hidden plans of a sovereign God. And so Job's life lesson it is one that ultimately points his students to God's son who patiently trusted his sovereign father. For in Job's classroom, we are pointed to the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, who really did obey all of God's wisdom and yet suffered brokenness every single year and yet finally rose up to eternal life because he trusted and he waited patiently for a sovereign God to raise him. And maybe Job's classroom is a place where some of us will find solace in 2023. However, today, we're not in Mr. Job's smashed up classroom. But this morning, just as a, a, one, a New Year one-off, I thought we'd enter the luxurious classroom of the high school teacher, Mr. Ecclesiastes. For in contrast to Mr. Job, this teacher of wisdom was successful every single year. For Mr. Ecclesiastes, one of Miss Proverbs' other star pupils, was one for whom it always worked out. Indeed, if you look at the very first verse of Ecclesiastes, you see that the words of the prophet or, or, or the words of the, of the collector of wisdom, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so if you're still with me and are still imagining entering this, this wisdom classroom this morning, no doubt at first you're relieved. Perhaps you think, phew, glad we didn't go into Mr. Job's classroom this morning on 1st of January. What a depressing start to the year that would have been. But then, you, but then as you sit down to Ecclesiastes and you hear this successful, wise old teacher also sobbing from his classroom desk. For Mr. Ecclesiastes' message in a nutshell is what happens if you obey all the maker's laws and then life does work out perfectly. What if you are wise every single year like me? What happens if you become a king in 2023 like me but then one day death? eventually takes it all away because we live in a broken world. What is the point of wisdom then? Well, I wonder how you'd answer that. Indeed, I wonder if that is how you felt as, as Alex and Ali read those verses from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and chapter 9. What is the point of living wisely, living according to God's wisdom in 2023? But perhaps that's not you. Uh, because perhaps you're even smarter than that. Indeed, you already know the answer to that question. For when I said a few minutes ago, what wisdom will you live by in 2023, you thought to yourself, well, that doesn't really matter. Because life is not finally about being wise, but life is about having a good time. Uh, essentially, the point of 2023, for me, even if you wouldn't put it quite like this, is basically just the amount of pleasure that I can get out of it. And friends, that, that, that is the idea that I want us to explore on this New Year's morning. And so if you zoned out, or, or you've walked into the classroom late, or you're not sure which teacher is teaching, 
see that this morning we are in the successful classroom of Mr. Ecclesiastes and that we are in chapters 2 and 9 and that this old wise teacher is writing on his chalkboard the title of this sermon, 2023, Another Year for Pleasure, question mark. So Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1, turn back with me, let's follow along. Chapter 2 verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. In short, uh, says Mr. Ecclesiastes to his class, on one New Year's morning, after all of my uh, elementary school wisdom classes, I said to myself, let me do a practical on pleasure. And so after looking for laughter in verse 2, as you can see in verse 3, he says, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And so he kind of uh, draws up this little Excel spreadsheet, and he types in life's pleasures at the top, and Underneath that heading, he he types in pleasure number one, Pinot Noir, and he drinks. In short, I wanted to analyze this this, this drinking thing that all the college fraternals get so excited about. And so in my senior days of college, I I saw if alcohol was any good. But then in verse four, I pursued another line of pleasure. In my life experiment, I, I dropped down a line on my spreadsheet and I typed in pleasure number two, personal projects. For verse 4, what does the teacher do next? I undertook great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. In modern terms, in my early 20s, I I graduated from Vanderbilt University and I became an architect and I built a 5,000 square foot home right next to to Bellmead Historic Winery. And Chip and Joanna Gaines from from Fixer Upper gave me an award. But then in my late 20s, Then I turned my experimental spreadsheet again. I typed in pleasure three public projects. For verses five and six, I made gardens and parks and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. In Nashville terms, I I conducted kind of environmental research projects and I built Centennial Park and I I watched elderly couples walking around the Parthenon and, and children enjoying all the new trees. And then when I hit my 30s, I pursued another line of pleasure, pleasure for power. Verse 7, I brought male and female slaves. I hired numerous people, and I employed the very best. Jeff Ruby cooked me steak, Derek Henry was my workout partner, and Kelly Clarkson gave my kids singing lessons. But in my 40s, as I continued with this pleasure test, I looked around to see what else Nashvillians did, and I typed in pleasure number five, possessions. Second half of verse seven, look with me. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem, and I also gathered for myself silver and gold. I purchased German cars and Swiss watches, and we got an exclusive French bulldog for Christmas and every Apple product at Green Hills Mall. And then I had my 50s. And with my youth fading fast, I turned to pleasure, a final pleasure. Not Pinot Noir, not personal projects, not public projects, not power, not possessions, but play. Second half of verse 8, I acquired male and female singers, many concubines, and the delights of the children of man. I hired Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood for my summer cookouts. And I agreed to be in an open relationship with my wife, and I played the field. Indeed, verse 10, whatever, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them, 
I kept my heart from no pleasure. And what was my conclusion, said the teacher? Verse 10, that my heart found pleasure in my toil and that this was my reward. And so what do the pupils learn from their teacher's test? What are you and I to note from verses uh, 3 to 10? As we look wisely in in verses um, 3 to 10, well, many things, but firstly, most simply, that, that pleasure is enjoyable. Pleasure is enjoyable. Now, although some of these circumstances surrounding these pleasures are clearly excessive and are clearly very wrong, we'll come to that later, we must recognize that the pleasure in itself is good. And that these pleasures did give joy to the teacher's heart. For look again at verse 10. My heart found pleasure in all these things. Friends, we've been made by a good God. Who in his goodness has designed us to experience good gifts. Godly people will come to different conclusions on alcohol. But God has given us taste buds to drink Pinot Noir. And he has given us active minds to enjoy earthly projects. And and God has given us strength to be powerful and to enjoy the gifts of responsibility at work and home. And God has given us ears and rhythm and touch for appreciating possessions and play. You and I have been designed by God in part for pleasure. And so part of living wisely in 2023 will mean enjoying pleasure. And this is, I think, is really important to remember Because Christians too often have been associated with the idea that that pleasure at root is somehow fundamentally bad. To the point where some unbelievers think that that Christians are just tedious killjoys. This idea has been around for decades. Indeed, I remember one of the first times I saw Christians being uh, portrayed on TV when I'd just become a Christian. What was in in the 1990s and in a BBC historical comedy show. A kind of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure for British people. And as I was watching it with my unbelieving teenage friends, one episode was on the Puritans, 17th century English Christians, most of whom were intelligent and happy and very kind people who loved God's word and loved the church. But how are these mature Christians portrayed on TV? Well, comically, as a fed-up uncle who thought that even sitting down was excessive, and a furious aunt who kept shouting throughout the episode, don't call me auntie, for aunt is a relative, and relatives are evidence of intimacy. The historical truth, however, is far from that. Yes, the Puritans wore black on a Sunday to remind themselves of the seriousness of coming to worship God. But these Christians also worshiped God midweek as they they enjoyed hunting and, and fishing and as they read and danced and skated and enjoyed some kind of early form of rugby. These mature Christians had large families and were were outspoken about the importance of intimacy in marriage. One Puritan named John Owen, who was the vice chancellor of Oxford University, was known for his cheerfulness and his bright and his fashionable clothes. Another English Puritan, Thomas Gattaker, famously said, it is the purpose of Satan to persuade us that in the kingdom of God there is nothing but sighing and groaning and fasting, whereas the truth is that there is marrying and feasting and rejoicing. Friends, pleasure in life is to be enjoyed. Mature Christians are not those who say God would have all our sorrows be more than our joys and that all pleasure is to be avoided in 2023. For the pleasures of life in their correct place are to be a delight to our hearts. Furthermore, as we stand back and look again at verses 3 to 10 carefully, can you also see that not only are pleasures enjoyable, 
but that pleasures are everywhere. Second point under that heading, the heart of pleasure. Pleasures is everywhere. Pleasure is everywhere. For picture again in your mind that that teacher, how far did he have to go to find pleasure? Did he have to walk for days to find one little oasis of minuscule joy? No, the teacher says he says he finds pleasure under the sun, everywhere. In the glass of wine sipped, in the, in the brick of a new house set, in the sparkle of silver, in the simple joy of singing. And friends, it's the same in 2023. Pleasures are everywhere, aren't they? And you just think about all of those pleasures that you have enjoyed in the last few days simply just by opening something. Opening the Christmas present to see the thoughtfulness of a loved one. Opening the oven door on Christmas Day to smell the, the perfectly cooked meat. Opening the clothes drawer to put on your favorite woolen sweater. Opening the front door to go out for a walk to hear the, the bird song of the chirping cardinal. Opening the shower door after you walk in the snow and feeling the hot water on your hands and face. Opening the, the hot chocolate tin with a, with a puff of cocoa and drinking the warm, consoling drink as you play board games with your family. Friends, pleasure is everywhere. Praise the Lord. Our God has made a world filled with, with many delightful things. He didn't have to make food and drink so enjoyable. He didn't have to make mundane things like clothes and shelter so lovely. He didn't have to fill our vision with a nature so satisfying to our eyes and a work so satisfying to our minds and music so satisfying to our ears, but God did it. Indeed, the abundant nature of pleasure should scream to us that God does exist and that God is good and that he is worthy of our every thanks and praise. So let me ask you, do you? Do you praise him? Are you someone who's marked by, by deep joy and thankfulness to the Lord? Friends, are your graces at mealtimes delighted because you see food as a pleasure? Or are your graces at mealtimes dreary because you see food now as just fuel? Do you still walk around cheekward if you get the opportunity? Thankful, still joyful for the art of your creator? Or have the snowdrops become just somehow passe to you? Have you made any time this week any time at all to reflect, reflect upon God's indulgence of you throughout the whole of 2022? Or if you're honest, do you really pray at all? Are you someone who, who actually never has once said thank you to God for anything in 2022? Indeed, if the truth were told, are you like the spoilt kid at Christmas who rips the wrapping paper off toy after toy after toy and, and chocolate after chocolate after chocolate who never turns once to say thank you to their parents? Are you someone who seizes all the gifts, spurns the giver? Friend, if that's you, don't you think it's time that you turn to him? For pleasure is enjoyable and in God's goodness and kindness, pleasure is everywhere. Accordingly, returning to the classroom scene, with chapter 2, uh, verse 10, ringing in their ears, we may imagine Mr. Ecclesiastes' students now kind of running for the door for their own hedonistic practical experiments. Indeed, perhaps that's how you're feeling right now. Hurry up with this sermon. I want to go home and have some fun. But just before his students get to the door, the wise old teacher kind of closes it and he says, uh, wait a second, I haven't finished my lesson yet. I haven't finished my story for verse 10, while my heart found pleasure in all these pleasures, then verse 11, look down. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended doing, and behold, 
all was vanity and a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. My young peoples, he says, although earthly pleasures will fill your heart with delight at times, I really want you to know that that pleasure has ultimately proved to me vanity. Indeed, the Hebrew word here for vanity is actually the word habel. And habel uh, literally means vapor or mist or breath. You see, as well as the, the, the heart of pleasure, we also discover here the habel of pleasure. The habel of pleasure. Pleasure delights the heart, but pleasure is also habel, a gas that's soon gone, a morning mist blown on the wind. In fact, as we read earlier, Seth read to us from, from Luke chapter 12, Jesus explains that the earthly pleasures are, are here today and suddenly whoosh, they're gone. For pleasure are just habel, that the fumes rising from the candles of another birthday cake blown out the smoke rising from the fireworks of a New Year's party over. And yet Ecclesiastes chapter 9, under that second point, the habel of pleasure, what, what happens to pleasure? Well, pleasure is often overtaken by our evil. Pleasure is often overtaken by our evil. Second reading, turn with me to Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. Pleasures delight the, the hearts of men and women, but the hearts of men and women are evil. And so often, God's good pleasures are often taken to evil excess. In 1647, Aptly, on April Fool's Day, an Englishman named John Wilmot was born. And John Wilmot had a famous dad, for his father had, had rescued King Charles II in the English Civil War. And accordingly, because of his father's bravery, Wilmot was given every pleasure in life. He was privately tutored, age seven, and he was given the power of an earl, aged just 11, and he was bestowed with a, with a master's degree, age 14, and he was conferred a war hero at aged 18. Indeed, when their king officially returned to the throne, Wilmot received a, a pension of 500 pounds a year, which today equates to a million dollars a year. And so by the age of just 20, Wilmot had received every pleasure. He had the finest Pinot Noir on tap, had indulged in the, in the greatest of projects, had the power in the king's court, had every 17th century possession possible. Accordingly, Wilmot just played all day, mainly with words and poetry. Indeed, Wilmot was best known as one of the forefathers of hedonism. You see, in his desire for something solid in life, Wilmot squeezed, he squeezed the, the ever-escaping gases of pleasure. The habel of pleasure was kind of pushed down to the maximum in the hope of some kind of condensation, in the hope of something concrete. Wilmot's heart thirsted for pleasure, just like every human heart, but also just like every human heart without the Holy Spirit, Wilmot's heart was sadly full of evil. 
And so pleasures were overtaken by evil excesses. Excessive Pinot Noir led him to sinful drunkenness. Excessive power led him to having slaves and to treating those slaves terribly. Excessive play led him to destructive pornography and numerous prostitutes. And like Mr. Ecclesiastes, he found absolutely no rest in any of his pleasure. Indeed, Wilmot died aged 33 of sexually transmitted diseases and alcoholism. And how is John Wilmot remembered? Well, in the National Portrait Gallery in London, there hangs a picture of John Wilmot. And as you can see there, from the painting on the screen, it shows Wilmot as an utter fool. His portrait shows him crowning his pet, Langer monkey, and the monkey ripping up all his life's work. Wilmot, you see, is a picture of what happens. When people try to crown pleasure as king, when evil hearts pursue pleasure to, to evil excess, when hearts are ruled by impulse and comfort, when we smash down the, the good and the wise boundaries that, that God has established in his word and unwisely try to build our lives on a vapor that cannot take such weight. The portrait of John Wilmot is a historical warning for you and I of the foolishness that ensues when meaning is found at the bottom of a beer glass, when the gift of power in life is everything, when our possessions become our gods, when sexual desire is Lord, and when God is not God. The tragic painting of Wilmot gives us a window into our evil hearts if we pursue pleasure to evil excess this year. Well, pleasure is often overtaken by our evil. Pleasure is often overtaken by our evil. But back to the imaginary classroom again for a minute. For no doubt, some, um, some pupils are still keen to kind of push open the door. Some still want to kind of run around and play outside hedonistically. In pretty perhaps some of you here ask, well, why don't we just pursue earthly pleasures without going to evil excesses? Surely pleasure and not God's wisdom is the point still of 2023. It's just that our pleasures need to be kind of moderated in some way. But the teacher with his hand on the door reads on. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 again, this time to the end. Look with me. Verse 3, that the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. Verse 5. For the living know that they will die, and the dead know nothing, and they have no further reward. Second point under that heading of, of the herbell of pleasure, pleasure is always overtaken by our expiration. Pleasure is always overtaken by our expiration. In the Tudor and Stuart period, uh, again in England, sorry we've had a lot on England this morning, but in the Tudor and Stuart period, just a few years before John Wilmot, another John was born, John Dittonville. And John Dittonville, just like uh, John Wilmot, enjoyed many pleasures. Indeed, from his uh, 1533 portrait, which also hangs in the National Gallery in London, it is clear that, that Dittonville enjoyed life. Indeed, you can see from his portrait here. Dittonville was very successful in all the ways that we've considered. For, for not only was his, his kind of beard some kind of millennial's dream, but, but his fur coat and his, and, and his velvet and satin clothes show that he could have purchased any Pinot Noir 
And the painting shows that he was into personal projects. You can see he's got an, he's got an astronomy kit there. And likewise, he was involved in personal projects too. Dittonville wears a medallion which shows that, that he worked for the king. And as he stands there to his very important friend, he holds a dagger to display his, his great power. And furthermore, he has clearly amassed many, many possessions. And Dittonville clearly enjoyed play. On the lower shelf behind him, you can see there a lute and a hymn book and a maths book. But in the center of the painting, on the floor by Deatonville's feet, there looks to be a huge piece of white driftwood. And at first glance, it looks rather like a kind of smudge, almost as though it has ruined his portrait. But in truth, it is an anthropomorphic image, something which has been stretched so that you can only see it at a particular angle. And if you look carefully from the right, the large white object dominating the portrait is a human skull. For this portrait was to be a reminder that he would die. And in fact, just 22 years after the portrait was done, he did. And so can you see what the wise artist wants to portray through the portrait? Through a portrait filled with earthly pleasures, the portrait shows us Indeed, it shouts to us, just like Mr. Ecclesiastes, that you can have every pleasure under the sun, but it is all vapor. It is all a temporary sigh, for underneath every delight there is death. Pleasures are gifts, but they're not gain. For pleasures are always overtaken by our expiration. And indeed, my friends, if you would care to imagine it somewhere, that there is a portrait of you and I, you know, hang in the National Gallery in London or Washington, D.C. But each and every one of us could pose, couldn't we? Next to our best friend at the New Year's party, with all our pleasures around us, with a glass of Pinot Noir in our hand, in front of pictures of great projects that we've done, framed degree certificates, a photo of lectures given, the business award won, Surrounded by our favorite pastime items, a, a baseball glove, a sewing machine, a, a treasured musical instrument. And yet, can you see that the stain and the smudge over all of our lives is a smudge and stain that equally we cannot erase? For the floor of 1533 is the same floor of 2023. For death will overtake our every pleasure. Our pleasures are enjoyable for just a few decades, but all of them will soon be overtaken by our death. And so can you see how this portrait rightly frames all our pleasures? How it teaches us to live wisely this year? Or to put it the other way around, can you see the great foolishness? The foolishness of, of living solely for pleasure when our ensuing expiration is just around the corner. Pleasures delight the heart, but pleasure is also her bell. So what hope is there in this classroom of wisdom? What hope is there? What hope is available for us for 2023 here? Well, let's find out. Final heading this morning, the hope of pleasure. The hope of pleasure. What, what are the parting commands of Mr. Ecclesiastes just before he removes his hand from the door to let his, his students out into the world? Well, firstly, he calls them once again to enjoy your everyday pleasures. Enjoy your everyday pleasures, he says. 
Ecclesiastes 9 verse 7, look with me, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already judged what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that God has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the realm of the dead to which you are going to be judged. Can you see where the teacher tells us to find hope? in light of our ensuing death, in light of the fact that we will all face God's judgment soon. He he says again, go. Go and enjoy your everyday pleasures. In short, the teacher tells us that that we are to think about death. And so we're to have fun and to praise God as we have fun. And specifically, verse 7, we're to eat with thanks to God. And although we're not to get drunk, we're to be, and we're to be wise and kind to people for whom alcohol is a temptation, I think we may enjoy a good beer and a glass of wine from time to time. Indeed, verse 8, Christians are those who can enjoy the new outfit, the white dress here, or a good tailored jacket without feeling guilty. And look at that oil in verse 8 too. Christians enjoy moisturizer, nice shampoo. <laughs> that The wise adorn themselves in ways that show that they are happy in all that the Lord has given them. Furthermore, in verse 9, the teacher says that that we're not to commit adultery, that we're not to have sex outside marriage, that we're not to have many spouses, but we are to enjoy life with our our one spouse. We're to enjoy intimacy in marriage. God made it. And verse 10, we're to enjoy careers that that, that God has given us too, and we're to work hard in them, because soon we're going to die. And soon all these everyday pleasures will be over as judgment draws in. And so the Christian... It is called to balance here that the fleeting joys of life with the connected truth that very soon we will all stand before God and give an account. And so Christians enjoy everyday pleasures, but Christians also don't run after pleasure in such a way that makes people think, well, I wonder if his hope is actually just on earth or wonder if she knows that she will stand before God. And how do we get this balance right? Well, the teacher doesn't tell us specifics. He doesn't say you don't have to shop at at Dollar General, but you you shouldn't shop at Whole Foods. Rather, he tells us to think about the mortal you and the immortal God. For wisdom in pleasure comes from realizing that, that death and judgment is just around the corner. I love what the Scottish minister, David Gibson, wrote on this. He said, when we accept in a deep way that we are going to die, that reality can stop us from expecting too much from all the good things that we pursue. We learn to pursue pleasures for what they are in themselves rather than what we need them to be to make us happy. Death helps us to see God's good gifts right in front of us all the time, every day of our lives. Instead of using these gifts as a means to a greater end of securing ultimate gain in the world, Christians take time to live inside the gifts themselves and to see the hand of God in them until we go to be with him. And so friends, again, in 2023, enjoy your everyday pleasures. Enjoy your everyday pleasures. However, secondly, under this final heading of the hope of pleasure, What are we most to infer from the teacher here? 
Well, very, very final point this morning. The command with which I wish to leave you, entwine yourself to eternal pleasure. Entwine yourself to eternal pleasure. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 4. Look carefully at this verse. It's probably the most important. In verse 3, you see beforehand that the teacher says everybody dies. And so verse 4, he says, he who is joined, he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. What is the old wise teacher saying here? Well, he's saying that it is much better to have just a few pleasures like a dog, but to be entwined with the living, than it is to have lots of pleasures like a mighty lion, but to be entwined with the dead. You see, throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there's this ultimate yearning for just something more in every page. There is this ultimate hope for life to kind of go on eternally. Indeed, in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, that the teacher says, God has put eternity into man's heart. In short, God has given every single person this, this deep desire for the party not to stop. Pleasure is good, and all of us kind of want the party to go on. But pleasure is fleeting, and all of us die. Alas, says the teacher, if only we could live on. Indeed, it's almost as if old Mr. Ecclesiastes here has this, has this yearning to be with his young students. It's almost as if he looks out of the classroom window in his old age, having told these silly young children to just go out and play and enjoy themselves, that he says to himself, soon I will be a dead lion. If only I could be a living dog like them. If only I could entwine myself to the living, then I could have hope of pleasures forevermore. You see, Mr. Ecclesiastes knows where the, the hope of, a, of eternal pleasure is to be found. And he knows to what he must entwine himself. He must entwine himself. He must join himself to the living. And yet the teacher has no knowledge of where to find it. The teacher only gets to see this, this, this cycle in life of sin and death and sin and death. He therefore knows how to be wise with, eternal, with, sorry, with earthly pleasures but he knows nothing of eternal pleasures. He has this wishful desire for them, but he has no living hope. For there are no living dogs to entwine himself to. No, no student of God's wisdom has ever beaten death. For you see that the teacher of wisdom here kind of wakes up in the wrong new year. For the old teacher lives in the Old Testament where the fullness of, of God's wisdom is veiled. But friends, for those of us who wake up in 2023, who live on this side of the dividing line of history, we may have hope of pleasures eternal. For as the New Testament Christians, we read 1 Corinthians 2, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God is destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has ever conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Friends, we know God's wisdom, once hidden, now marvelously unveiled. We have the hope of eternal pleasure for wonderfully we know God's wisdom in full 
And so the one who beat death and the one who lives on and on and on, for we know Jesus, who says, entwine yourself to me by faith. Come to me and I will give you life eternal and eternal pleasures that are so great you cannot even imagine. And so friends, at the start of this new year, let us work very hard not to forget the importance of continuing to entwine ourselves to God's wisdom, no longer hidden, but now uncovered. The hope of Jesus Christ, who has risen and is making all things new for our great joy. For as we perhaps sit around the pile of new Christmas presents, and as we look out upon this new year with hope, with all its potential pleasures and possibilities, it is sadly very easy to cover up eternal pleasures if we entwine ourselves with everyday pleasures. It is sadly very easy to cover up eternal pleasures if we entwine ourselves with everyday pleasures. And how do I know that? Well, for the last time, let's just go back to that John de Dittonville portrait. That portrait of a man with every single pleasure. For what I want us to see in this picture, perhaps most of all, is that which has been pretty much covered up by him. For you see, if you look up in the very top left corner, there is a hidden crucifix of Jesus. Because with all his everyday pleasures, in the foreground, Jesus, the hope of eternal pleasure, has become very small to Dittonville indeed. Indeed, you can imagine it, can't you? As the portrait is being prepared, as the stage is being set for the artist, as, as Dittonville and his friend put on all their finest clothes for the new year, and as the green curtain is thrown up, and all the prized Christmas presents gathered up and, and, and perfectly positioned, that as a result of all his hope in earthly pleasures, Christ begins to be covered up. Christ, the only one who could pay the price of all those times when Dittonville lived to evil excess, Christ, the only one who took God's judgment for all those times when Dittonville refused to, to thank God for all the good gifts he'd had. Christ, the only one who could beat death, which dominated everything in the foreground of his life, is now tragically left, covered up in the background. Christ, the pleasure and hope and wisdom of God for this year and every year was now veiled by the fleeting pleasures and hopes of 1533. And so friends, this year, let us pray. Let us pray that we might be wise, that we might not hide the only hope we have, but instead give glory to the one who is making all things new and so increasingly entwine ourselves to Christ by faith in whom there are eternal pleasures. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you as the one who is the giver of all pleasure. 
Father, we thank you that pleasure is enjoyable. Father, we thank you that, that pleasure is everywhere. Father, you are so good and you are so kind to us. And we praise you for your every gift to us. And yet, Father, we are aware that often we are evil. Father, we are aware that often we abuse your good gifts. And Father, for that we are sorry. Father, for that we ask for your forgiveness in Christ. And Father, would you teach us also to see that the earthly pleasure is just overtaken by our death. Father, would you remind us this year that, that one day we will die and that because of that, that we would enjoy the pleasures that you've given us now, but that most of all, we pray that we would entwine ourselves with Jesus this year. Indeed, for any who do not know you here this morning, may they do that this day. And for those who already have, Father, would you help us to walk closely with our risen Savior, that we may not start to cover him up. We may not cover up that which you have gloriously uncovered, but that we may look forward to pleasures to come, having been united to Christ by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.